You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Welcome to the show today, everyone. It's great to have you. Um, I am really super pleased to have with me today Marco Janhunen, who is Director of Public Affairs for UPM, and he's also Chair of the LSB, that's the Advanced Biofuels Coalition in the EU. Marco, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. So for the listeners who may not be familiar at the outset, I'm I'm so excited to talk to you about a number of topics, a number of things that are going on uh, in the EU uh, right now. But starting at the beginning, uh, for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk about what UPM does and its foray into biofuels and now hydrogen and the e-fuels spaces? Thanks, um, definitely. Um, UPM is a very old traditional forest industry company. Um, and we are producing, we're one of the largest producers of magazine papers, we're one of the largest producers of pulp, we produce label, label stock, uh, wood products and others. And about around 2006, uh, we started developing uh, biofuels, advanced biofuels. We had a number of technologies, we had several projects, but finally in 2012, we decided to invest into advanced biofuels. And uh, since 2015, we've been producing at our Lapuerrata biorefinery, uh, currently 130,000 tons of renewable diesel and renewable naphtha um, for mainly the passenger transport and heavy duty sectors. Um, and it's been a great success. So we've really enjoyed uh, coming from the traditional forest industry, you know, making our, our uh, footprint in the biofuel sector, uh, creating an advanced biofuels, which is uh, specifically mandated, bringing in our history with the forest as we are using a residue of pulp production, um, so crude toll oil, to make these fuels that reduce emissions by over 80%. Um, so this is our core in the advanced biofuels, where the largest producer of only advanced biofuels in the EU and in the world, uh, I presume. Um, and it's, this really was a positive ex experience. Uh, we started already some years ago to look at the growth options. Mm -hmm. And uh, about two years ago, we announced that we're looking for a project and we were assessing uh, two options, one in Finland, one in the Netherlands. And about a year ago, we announced that uh, we shall continue uh, the planning uh, and uh, preparations for a possible investment in Rotterdam, which would be up to 500,000 tons of renewable fuels, uh, which should obviously uh, make us a significant player in the advanced biofuels segment, while, of course, uh, other companies are much, much bigger in the uh, biofuel sector. What we want to do is really bring in the our DNA with using different types of residues. So residuality is an ex extremely important, obviously renewability. Um, and we are developing new kinds of uh, regenerative uh, ways of doing agriculture or um, agroforestry to create new feedstock 
for for the plant uh, for the possible investment. So, in this space of uh, advanced biofuels, uh, where we want to be, we consider that the most attractive, uh, most long-term, uh, and most sustainable category of uh, of the biofuel sector, and this is where we focus. Uh, obviously, uh, you asked about uh, hydrogen e-fuels. Um, we have actually quite interesting assets to study also our entry into e-fuels or, or e-chemicals you may have as well. Um, as we are actually the second largest electricity producer in Finland, we have a lot of nuclear and hydro assets. Um, so this creates us a certain uh, advantage in the emerging hydrogen business. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also have actually enormous amounts of biogenic CO2, uh, which will be the preferred option for CO2 source for synthetic fuels. We have about 10 million tons uh, coming from the pulp mills that we have or paper mills. Um, and this is a very, very interesting um, path that we're studying. Um, the regulation is not quite ready there. Uh, we're looking at the different end use markets for e-fuels or e-chemicals. Um, so the, there's a lot of assessment going on. We have a team actually dedicated to this energy transition where they are are looking at the various options but um it's it, it is very exciting times this this uh, policies that are being put in place to promote the use of hydrogen or hydrogen derivatives uh, is definitely going to give uh, interesting opportunities here so can you tell us more about the lsb and and what are the the state uh, what is the state of advanced biofuels uh, in the EU right now today? Thanks. Um, LSB is what we call the Advanced Biofuels Coalition. Um, LSB comes from Leaders of Sustainable Biofuels. We changed the name to Advanced Biofuel Coalition um, as we consider that all biofuels are sustainable because otherwise they can't be put in the market. So right. that's right. why um, that's why the change of name, but we kept the acronym. We founded uh, our coalition about 10 years ago, um, a group of companies coming from very different backgrounds uh, met um, in, uh, had a meeting. Uh, we decided to start working towards creating a mandate for advanced biofuels within the European Union renewable energy directive. Um, we were actually successful in the sense that this mandate was introduced in 2015 as an indicative target, but many member states already then made it actually binding. Uh, and then it, with RED2 in 2018, this was actually made mandatory. So since uh, that time, we have a mandate to use certain amount of advanced biofuels in the uh, fuel mix in each and every member states. The red three proposal by the European Commission increased slightly this um, uh, mandate uh, or will increase as it hasn't been finalized yet. 
Um, and we see there is quite a lot of uh, room for growth in the sense that um, uh, the mandate for 2030 is around 7 million tons. Um, two years ago, the latest data, um, there was about uh, 1 million ton uh, used in the EU. Um, and that was before the mandate kicked in. So we will see actually a number of investments are needed to fulfill the gap to, to reach the target in 2030. Uh, and obviously, um, that's what a number of companies are doing at the moment. Um, so all in all, um, the Commission uh, and the European Union Parliament and the Member States uh, are clearly committed to the use of advanced biofuels uh, up to 2.2% in 2030. Um, but of course, we also have uh, the opportunities in the uh, sustainable aviation fuels and in the maritime sector. So it's not only the transport sector with passenger transport and heavy duty, it's also very much uh, an opportunity in the aviation and maritime sectors. So in your view, what are the biggest both opportunities and challenges to growing the advanced biofuels market in the EU? And, and same question for e-fuels. Um, for the advanced biofuels, I guess we've seen a certain challenge with the changing uh, regulations. So uh, that's, that's certainly one. Um, I think what we also see is that the there's an increasing amount of uh, secondary legislation, meaning the Commission is proposing delegated acts or implementing acts, and they create quite uh, tough regulatory frameworks. So that's one. But then again, I don't, I shouldn't uh, cry about it too much because this is a regulated business. If you want to operate in the advanced biofuels or in the e-fuels, this is what you need to do. I mean, you, you have to then be able to predict sufficiently long-term uh, the need of these fuels. Our key driver is not necessarily actually the Renewable Energy Directive and the mandate there. It's actually the effort-sharing regulation, which is a binding regulation for member states to reach a certain target of emission reduction by 2030. And obviously our markets are most likely to be in those countries that have up to 50% reduction in the non-ETS sector. And this, this means that biofuels are needed and advanced biofuels are needed to reach your uh, emission reduction targets in the transport sector. Uh, and this is where we come in and we can provide uh, as, as a company um, the product to, to reach those targets. So all in all, um, for the advanced biofuels, I see a lot of opportunities. There's room and space to invest. Uh, we are looking at it. Many other companies are considering their investments. I think we are coming to a stage where the technologies are ready. Mm -hmm. A number of new technologies have been developed for, uh, for, for making municipal solid waste into bioethanol or, 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 or diesel. 
renewable diesel. There's a number of technologies uh, for transforming um, residual woody biomass, for example, sawdust or, or forest harvesting residues into uh, a liquid uh, form, which can be hydro treated into renewable diesel. So on the technology side, again, I think we are quite well progressing and, and uh, the technologies are starting to be ready. What about for e-fuels? That's a tricky one in the sense that we are really creating a very high expectations for e-fuels. We are creating uh, regulations actually for a product that really doesn't exist in the market. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you know one really big challenge is to, uh, if you're looking at your potential e-fuel production, um, what are the prices? How do you estimate the price development of e-fuels, uh, which is a product which really is not trading too much in the markets yet? Um, there are a number of initiatives, a number of companies entering. So it's it's actually quite a unique situation, in my opinion, that we are setting very high mandates for 2030, which is very soon, for a product that is uh, really um, at, at a very early stage, though promising, and I think there's a number of opportunities. I think something that I can mention that relates to both of these, and that's the recent decisions by the EU to um, ban the sale of internal combustion engine cars by 2035, mm -hmm. and also a, a recent proposal by the European Commission to, to set quite stringent targets for the CO2 standards for heavy duty vehicles. Right. I think these are kind of, they are um, sending a very strong message to the industry. Um, and I think, uh, some people may wonder whether it is feasible to start producing e-fuels for the transport sector, because in the e-fuel production as well, you, you're not just producing one, you can't just produce SAF only. You will normally have different types of fuel grades, and of course, you need to have an outlet for all of these. Precisely my question to you. So, yeah, how do you do that with these you know sort of targets that have now just been agreed agreed for light duty and proposed for heavy well i think we're going to have a very heated discussion on the heavy duty side uh, i think you know these heavy duty vehicles are essential uh for european economy um mm -hmm. we cannot bet on something which doesn't exist uh, Yes, certainly hydrogen will play its part uh, and um, um, electrification, but it's it's going to take some time. Um, so I think we will see uh, an interesting debate in the next year on what the member states really want from the heavy duty sector and the European Parliament. Um, it is very regrettable that the proposal is not uh, complying with the technology neutrality aspect. Mm -hmm. So these, we believe that these decisions are uh, extremely political um, and not respecting the fact that with e-fuels uh, e or renewable fuels like mm -hmm. our 
renewable diesel, you can reach the same uh, environmental impact. We should really um, measure the full, full life cycle impact of um, both hydrogen, electricity, and renewable fuels. Um, we've been making a lot, a lot of noise about this, um, but unfortunately, the Commission has come with a proposal that does not recognize the role of the fuel itself. Uh, and that's that's something that we need to talk then further with the co-legislators deciding on the proposal. It, it seems so. I want to ask you more about, about um, Red 3 and something you said recently, but I, I want to stay with this because it seems so, and maybe it's because... <laughs> I'm only an observer of the European situation. I'm only an analyst. Um, and of course, you know, I'm American and we have our own situation here, as you well know. But it seems so just terribly logical to me that you would want to have the full life cycle accounted as a, as a basis. Now that we have the tools, we have the knowledge, we have the experts, we have the ability to do that, um, and we're and we're going for net zero. We're going for real world. Everything's real world uh, these days in terms of emissions reductions, whether it's um, common air pollutants or greenhouse gas emissions. So I fail to understand what is the problem here. Why you know that. You know, why is this? You mentioned it was it was political, but it's really hard to and I'm no stranger to, to, to politics for sure. But I fail to really grasp that because to me, with without doing that. The policy runs the risk of not working and the commission, in my view, doesn't have in terms of the, the fuels and, and transport energy. I would say has maybe I would argue a mixed record in this in this regard. I mean, don't you want long term policy to work? And isn't the the full life cycle sort of the the basis of that? Like, what am I missing here? <laughs> well, you started by saying that you don't understand. Um, well, I don't understand either. <laughs> um, so that's the short uh, short answer. But really, um, the fact is that. We need all sustainable means right. to reach our targets. Uh, there's no one trick pony. We really, really need all of these uh, to support the goal of uh, reaching a carbon neutral Europe uh, eventually in 2050. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have the most stringent sustainability criteria in place uh, for advanced biofuels and in biofuels in general. There are not too many sectors um, similar to this that would be equally um, regulated. Um, and therefore, it is uh, a great frustration, obviously, to the industry that uh, these opportunities are not recognized. Um, we do see, though, that many member states obviously are, are um, not exactly going the same way. We see that in, in while well, there is some discussion now in many member states about the price of fuels at the pump and the role mm -hmm. of these uh, blending mandates on the price. 
But nevertheless, we've seen that obviously those countries that really need to do the most and are most committed to uh, becoming carbon neutral, uh, they are actually uh, using the most ad uh, advanced biofuels or, or biofuels in general, whether it is uh, Finland with a 34% target uh, biofuels by 2030, whether it is Sweden, which has a high um, mandate as well, it's a different type. Um, and a number of other countries where we see a strong um, pull for the use of advanced biofuels. I think there is a good example in Germany where there's, it is a very controversial discussion. The discussion there relates to first generation biofuels. Mm -hmm. But again, um, for whatever reasons, some ministries are proposing to dramatically cut the first generation biofuels usage uh, for the reasons I presume uh, that relate to food versus fuel. Mm -hmm. But then there are other ministries saying that, hey, we can't do it because otherwise we do not reach our targets. And it is also true that Germany has already had to buy allowances from Romania and Bulgaria for not following the transport targets. And this is going to get even tougher. Uh, because the electrification actually um, will impact the, the real emission uh, reduction uh, quite long term. Um, another reason why, I mean, there's always reason to be the optimistic and uh, another challenge with the proposal or with the kind of attitude or policy of the European Commission is that even you know when we have 100 million electric vehicles mm -hmm. we'll have 200 million which are non electric vehicles and right. these this legacy fleet needs renewable fuels needs policies to support and we are actually with the policy approach of the commission we risk that there won't be sufficient investments and then the only only alternative is fossil Mm -hmm. So sending this message from Brussels is risking a number of investments that could contribute to the defossilization of the legacy fleet. Uh, and this should be a real concern for the politicians. Do you believe along those lines um, that there could be um, also that a situation that occurs, you know, we have the Inflation Reduction Act here in the U.S. It's already attracting investments um, in a range of different areas, e-fuels, hydrogen, um, HVO, um, other uh, low-carbon fuels. Do you think that project developers will conclude, ah, oh, this is too difficult situation. We are not assured of how the market is going to be. Let's just do our project in the US. Do you believe that that situation could occur because the, 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 they, they will simply conclude the competitive environment is, is better and easier to develop projects in the US rather than in the EU? It's a valid question and I, I do, I think that the discussion that has um, emerged in the EU after the Inflation Reduction Act was published uh, is quite interesting. And I think it will have 
quite long-term consequences on European Union policies. And I predict that it will actually have quite a profound uh, impact on the next Commission agenda. Because mm -hmm. the reaction of the, the European Union has been, okay, we need to support our industry equally. Uh, we need to you know, change our state aid rules. We need to look at competition policies. We need to look at trade policies. Uh, we need to create new funding. Um, what I really regret is that in this debate, there has been very little discussion on the framework conditions, on the regulations that we have in place in the EU. Mm -hmm. And there's a good example, actually, that relates to hydrogen. You know, the US um, grants or, or fiscal reductions for uh, the hydrogen production are quite lucrative. Mm -hmm. uh, and the rules for defining what type of hydrogen is allowed are very relaxed compared to what we have in the EU. Uh, and what we really should have done as a reaction to this is consider, well, do we, do we really have the right regulations in place that will foster these investments? Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, the main discussion was that, okay, do we need new funding? Do we, how do we you know, compete with the US on the funding side? But we should have reacted saying, okay, we've been for now last two years and more than a year late discussing the definition of green hydrogen uh, that now recently has been published. Uh, but it took a lot of time. I mean, over a year delay on writing a paper to define the framework conditions, what should be your electricity source uh, for producing green hydrogen. Um, so I think these kind of examples are important when we discuss the competitive um, situation between the US and the EU. I'm not sure how many of these investments, it's, it's easy to say that, okay, um, it's not easy here in the EU, I'm going to go into the US. Uh, it takes a lot more than just buying a flight ticket. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not an easy operating environment either if you're not established in the US. That's true. Um, mm -hmm. So um, it remains to be seen. But I think this era discussion will reflect on a much more profound way. And let's see if it even has an impact on the role of biofuels, advanced biofuels and the e-fuels. Will it, will it um create a new understanding of the need that, okay, if we don't do it here, then there is a risk. Let's see. I think it's too early to um, give any firm answers on that question, but it's certainly um, creating a lot of discussion here in the EU. So I want to um, turn a little bit to uh, Red 3, Refuel EU, EU and Refuel uh, EU Maritime. And I want to quote to you a, a comment that I thought was really interesting that you've said recently. You said, and I quote, if I go back the 10 years that the Advanced Biofuels Coalition has existed, and if I started counting how many months when we were not in the process of either revising or anticipating the revision of the directive, that wouldn't leave too many months. And that's not a positive signal. We need a longer term view. In your view, again, why doesn't the commission understand this? And, and do you expect 
actually that under the Fit for 55 um, framework or constellation, as I've been calling it, that there would be more certainty finally provided to the industry for Red 3, for SAF under Refuel EU, and, and, and for maritime shipping fuels under uh, Refuel EU Maritime. Do you expect that certainty to, to, to come finally? Well, first of all, um, yes, in the sense that the fuel EU maritime and uh, uh, refuel aviation regulations that are not directives, they are regulations, so they are binding um, by each word in each member state. They actually set the targets for 2050. Now, it's obvious that those targets will be revised many, many times over before 2050, because today you can only give a guess on what is the cost and availability of sustainable aviation fuels in the 2040s. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a good signal that they set, set it until 2050. Um, this is obviously what would be needed also for Red Tree, and this is not the case. Um, and I also am slightly concerned that uh, a number of uh, files will be revised uh, during the next commission. Uh, we have an extensive uh, discussion in the EU currently on uh, electricity prices, on gas prices. There's a uh, electricity market reform initiative. Uh, whether we will get this ready uh, in a post-war in Ukraine kind of situation, mm -hmm. Um, by you know before the the new commission starts, I doubt. So I would presume that the whole kind of electricity, gas market uh, reform related topics will be quite important part of the next commission agenda as well, um, because it is a key backbone of uh, of the EU industry. So I would presume um, that maybe within red they won't revise all of it. Uh, it is a challenge for us, of course, that there are all the time these revisions. Uh, but I also turn it around in the sense that I've said that, you know, we've been, we've been operating or we made the initial investment decision in 2012. That's uh, over 10 years. In this time, the regulation has been revised a number of times. And as I said, it's been open for more than it's been closed or uh, confirmed, you know, in principle, UPM has benefited from each reform uh, or review. So uh, we've been more better off after this. So th that's also a reason that if you choose the right category, if you choose the right uh, sustainability credentials and approach, uh, and if you are doing uh, a best possible product for the, for the customers, then you are actually quite safe. Um, quite a lot we discuss today, not the nitty gritties of the regulation, but the direction. What are the big drivers and how do we reach the 2050 targets? And before that, 2030, 2040, uh, what is the role? What is the space for advanced biofuels or hydrogen or e-fuels, e-chemicals? So, if you look at the big picture, it's quite self-evident that there's a huge need. Mm -hmm. 
but then of course uh, you you have these um, directives and regulations that um, are creating of course a, a relatively complex operating environment I'll, I'll give another example actually mm -hmm. I, 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 you know if, if I had to explain uh, to our top management in 2012 when we made the investment decision on our Lapenranta biorefinery it was pretty simple we had renewable energy directive then we had double counting for certain types of residual feedstock uh, and then we had some member states who set a higher target than the one of EU. That was 10% only back then for, for biofuels. Today, we are considering a major investment uh, in Rotterdam. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even though I work, you know, full-time on EU policies and regulatory issues relating to, related to UPM businesses, uh, it is quite a challenge to explain the, the regulatory frame of advanced biofuels today. You need to talk about red tree, you need to talk about ETS, you need to talk about um, emission trading scheme, you need to talk about uh, fuel EU maritime aviation, you need to talk about alternative fuels infrastructure, you need to talk about taxation. Yeah. It's a long list. and and then there's a lot of these uh, implementing acts and and uh, other regulations so it's actually a relatively complex and each of these directives or regulations actually has interlinkages with each other so um it's it's quite a, a complex environment um, but again that's also the regulation that creates your business opportunities. Uh, so you have to be active, you have to understand, you have to engage, uh, and you have to talk to a lot of people so that they understand what are the drivers um, that you're trying, trying to convey. So fun and last question. You've been doing this for a long time. What excites you most about this space and why? I think it's been fantastic to be part of this uh, transformation. Uh, UPM, as I said, it's a traditional forest industry company. We managed, uh, we created a completely new industry business within UPM. Um, regulation is obviously a key part of this uh, business strategy. Uh, we created a product that has uh, extremely uh, interesting and, and strong environmental sustainability credentials um, and you know being part of a journey with a team with colleagues where we've actually succeeded very well and and that's exciting um, I think obviously uh, also the opportunity of the hydrogen related or the hydrogen economy uh, and the assets that we have at UPM it's extremely exciting to be engaged in these discussions. It's it's a, a tremendous opportunity, a complex one as well. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, being able to support and discuss, you know, with a lot of different types of people, it's really multidisciplinary. Uh, you need to understand a lot of different aspects, and I, I guess that means that you're learning something all the time. Mm -hmm.
Marco, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great to have you. And as things develop, I hope you come back. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.